Welcome to the Wolverine Digest Podcast, the best spot for objective and authentic coverage of Michigan athletics. If you want open dialogue, honest opinions, and in-depth coverage of the maize and blue, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Brandon Brown, joined as always by Chris Bradley. I'm just going to start by saying go blue. Thank you, <laughs> random reporter guy. Thank you so much for that. Who uh, that almost lo- makes Big Ten Media Days worth it. Right? Who just, just, just that. Dude just lucked his way into a credential, let's be honest. Yeah. Caught a lot of flack for it. I don't know. It's funny that 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 clip, you know, was making the rounds on Twitter back then when that was going on, and some people were like, What the hell is that guy doing there? Like, what is that guy doing there? And then others were like, What's the problem? I don't even I don't even see Just leave him be. He's just trying to live. You're just a Michigan guy out there. Look, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. I don't know. I guess when you've been covering it for a while and uh I mean, you're you're still like waiting to see the vibe in the press box. I know we've yeah. talked about it a lot, but it's it's quiet in there, man. Dude, I'm so used to being box. like on the verge of like blackout drunk during the games. That yeah, I, just, well. I don't know. You know, I'm not. I, I don't know how this is gonna feel. So I haven't watched. I, I haven't watched a Michigan football game sober. Sometime. Well, we are going to fade this music right out, <laughs> and uh, oh boy. Jump right in. Right into it. Right Both into feet, it. head, torso, midsection, nads, all of this it. The whole guy. body? The whole body. Okay. Let's get in it case you missed guy. it. In case you missed it. In case this you missed it. This guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. Paul Feinbaum. What's his deal? Dude. Dude. This fucking guy is right, man. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I actually, okay, if you missed it out there for everybody who doesn't know why we're talking about Paul Feinbaum, he went in on Harbaugh today. I mean, we're a week away from the season starting, and he's talking about firing him and getting rid of him. And, you know, you're just postponing the agony. I think he used the word agony. Um, Chris put a story up about this earlier today on WolverineDigest.com. Go check it out. He's got the quotes and everything, a little bit of opinion there as well. But it's like, here's the deal, man. I've been really critical of Harbaugh, and I actually don't disagree with a lot of what he he says about Harbaugh but why the hell are you doing it right now yeah. he, he's clearly just trying to stir the pot and be a dick just to just to get the reaction and just to just to have people start talking about him again because this the season's a week away look I thought Jim Harbaugh should have been fired after last year the two and four season the the direction of the program the way things have have looked for a little while I'm not super optimistic about what they might do this year, but now is, I mean, the season's here. You don't talk about getting rid of the coach right now. I was on that train when they were trying to figure out his extension and then his salary got cut and they got rid of the buyout. But now it's like, like Paul, we get it. That's your stick. You hate Harbaugh. You got a, you got a hard on for him, whatever the deal is, however you want to express it. It just like, it comes off cheap. And I don't know anybody who's buying that right now that, he just that this needs to be talked about right now. I thought it was a, I thought it's a cheap shot, man. It is. It is. And if you watch, well, let me go back. If you watch the interviews, you know, he's on various shows and there are people asking him about Jim Harbaugh. So they're sort of, you know, leading the horse to water. But 
I don't know, man. Like it doesn't to me, whenever he gives his assessment of Jim Harbaugh, it doesn't feel like he's doing it as an analyst. Like it feels personal. Like it Mm -hmm. feels like there's something there and you're right. A lot of what he, the substance of what he's saying is true that, you know, to this point, I think most Michigan fans would agree that it has, you know, failure is a harsh word, but I don't know what else to really put on it. You know what I mean? If you look at zero trips to Indy, zero wins over Ohio state, and you look at what he was brought here to do in that sense, it has been a failure, but for some odd reason, I don't know. I think Feinbaum's just one of those guys where, you know, he likes to say he understands what he's doing and he wants to be relevant. And he knows that when he goes in on Jim Harbaugh, that it's going to be talked about in the media. And so in a way, I guess we're giving him exactly what he wants, but man, it's just, it's gotten to the point where it's like a weird obsession, you know, this fucking guy, that's all it is. I mean, it, it, you know, yes, it feels like a weird obsession. Pretty much everybody outside of, I'm sorry, everybody who's has anything to do with Michigan, a fan, a media member covering the team, certainly people involved with the program took offense to it. I I, I don't know. I don't know if he's doing well, it to be offensive. It's just like well, it, it's weird, ti- weird timing. And like what, what spurred that? I know you said he was asked about it. They were they were having a discussion about. I don't know. Was it hot seat coaches or something along those lines? Yeah, it, it was it was. I don't know. One of the, one of the um, one of the shows asked them to you know describe Jim Harbaugh using an emoji, and that was earlier in the week. And that was when mm-hmm. he said, you know, watching Jim Harbaugh makes me sick. And then he calls, you know, later in the week he calls Jim Harbaugh a fraud. And I think you know when you're talking about the results on the field, I mean, you and I were pretty much in lockstep with how we felt about the end of last year and kind of how we felt with the way things are going. But you know, like as a person, I still find myself like. Now that he's now that we know he's here, I'm still rooting for Jim Harbaugh to succeed. And I've said this before, I'm rooting for him to succeed because his success means Michigan succeeding. But at the same time, like it's still okay to be critical of the job performance and to just call a spade a spade. But with Feinbaum, it's just like I said before, it's weird. It seems personal and it doesn't seem like he's coming at it from an analyst standpoint. And I don't get what it is. I think it's just an old guy trying to, trying to remain relevant and, and stick within the news media. And, uh, you know, like I said, in the article, the season just started. I guarantee you that's not the last thing we hear from Feinbaum. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's funny. You mentioned, yeah, it's funny. You mentioned earlier, you said the word failure or he used the word failure and you were kind of quoting him or whatever. I, I tend to agree with what you said, like saying the word failure feels too harsh, but on the very, like in the very next breath, I could say, well, he's pretty much failed to do all the big, big checklist items. So what, what is that? We thought he was going to do right. The things if, that Michigan fans thought he would do. If he was brought in to compete and beat Ohio state to play in and win big 10 titles and be in the playoff picture, he's failed. Sure. I, I mean, so when I hear someone say Jim Harbaugh is a failure, that sounds too harsh to me, even to me. And I've been really critical of what he's done. And I think, you know, he's coming into year seven. I, you know, we've talked about this before. If his name was John Johnson, the the football head coach at Michigan, he'd have been canned three years ago. I mean, we saw it. We saw it with the two coaches prior to him. Didn't get a leash like that at all. And I know it was pretty bad under Rich Rod and it got kind of bad under Brady Hoke, but the point is, he's going into year seven. His contract was slashed. The season wasn't good last year. Things aren't looking 
it's certainly not it's certainly not all rainbows right now heading into the season. I know the players are saying a lot of good like things and, and 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 energy is high and confidence seems high, but if you look at you know what it really is and what things looked like last year and how some of the how some of the teams shake out this year and the schedule and it's it's a tough schedule and I don't know. We're we've talked yeah. about this a million times. I'm at seven and five, you're at nine and three. It doesn't take much to swing something in either direction, but the point is um I don't know what else you call Jim Harbaugh. Like I said, saying he's a failure seems way too harsh, but when you break down what he's succeeded at and what he's failed at, I, I don't know what else well, you can really say. Here's where, here's where I think the distinction comes in is that if you say it has been a failure to this point, then that I'm totally on board with. But when you call Jim Harbaugh as a person, a failure, I just think the way that he, paints the picture of what's going on at the university of Michigan or what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. You know, there's, there's clearly something behind the words that he uses. And like I said, it, it doesn't feel like it's an analyst. It feels personal. Yeah. Like, like an, like an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend and the way that you sort of talk about each other in passing after like a bad breakup, the way, or the way you talk about each other to your friends, you know, it's, it, it's just not normal. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of these discussions we've had a bunch of times. There are different Harbaugh camps. There's no doubt about it. There's the, the diehard Harbaugh apologist who will say he's the best guy for the job. He always will be. He's the guy wouldn't want anybody else. Don't care what he's done. Look at his past. Look at it. You know, whatever he's got 10 win seasons. There's, there's that group. And then there's also the group who's even more harsh than you or I, who, who would like for him to be fired today and be gone. Even though the season's right around the corner. I, I don't know. I, I think he was hired to do some things at a, at a very high level. His contract reflected that, and he didn't do any of those things. And that's why his contract got cut in half, and that's why this year kind of feels like a, a make-it-or-break-it kind of season, even though last year was crazy, and I don't know. We'll see. He signed the extension. We all know those uh, those pieces of paper aren't worth as much as the Charmin in our bathrooms, but uh, – it is what it is. He is the Michigan coach right now, so talking about him being fired eight days before the season kicks off is just taking a shot. I think it's taking a shot. It's very, it's and, very fine bomb. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'll, that's we can agree on that. It's on brand for what fine bomb's all about. He seems to kind of crawl out from somewhere, take a take a shot at Harbaugh, see what happens, crawl back. I mean, I don't really know. I don't follow him, so I don't know like. What kind of stuff is he saying about other coaches regularly, semi-regularly? Well, I know that, he's an SEC slap. That's, yeah, that's I was going to ask you about that. Like, can you think of another I don't know. analyst out there that goes after a coach the way that Feinbaum repeatedly goes after Harbaugh? Like, I, 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 just, I can't think. I can't think of another example. I can't think of an example like that. And I also don't know one way or the other. Is there another? You know, does he have another coach on his hit list? I mean, if you go back through the last six, well, seven Scott years, Frost, I think would be, you know, it's not, it's not as repetitive, but he did bring up Scott Frost and kind of said, Hey, basically the same thing I'm saying about Jim Harbaugh, apply that to Scott Frost. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, um, like I said, I, I, I can't go through Feinbaum's words and say he's wrong. He's wrong there. He's wrong there. But I think the timing's absolutely wrong. That yeah. that's, that's where I'm at on what he said. Like I said, depending on what Harbaugh camp you're in, you probably have pretty strong feelings about it one way or the other. I, I don't know if I have strong feelings about it, but you're right. I mean, this is a big time, you know, talking head at ESPN. Um, like I, it's not even the conference he covers. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like just, yeah. it just seems, it seems very much it's like ah, he wakes up Harbaugh, like in the middle of the night, just terrified or I don't know, aggravated or agitated by anything he does. It is a little strange, but, 
it is what it is. Um, what's not strange, but does still suck, is the fact that Ohio State seems to be freaking killing it with NIL and Michigan still isn't. I mean, this is something that we've been talking about for going on two months now. NIL stuff went live on July 1st. Michigan didn't really do a whole lot about it leading up to that point. Hasn't done much about it since. I've been talking about it. I've been saying it. Some people didn't like that. Some people thought I was wrong. Michigan's doing tons. It's just behind the scenes. Just wait. Just wait. And now, you know, not long ago, you had Hunter Dickinson come out, speak publicly against the university and how difficult they're making it uh, for athletes to do things. And now, you know, there's there's respected insiders and people who donate to the program and people who are very involved and want to be more involved saying that they can't get involved, that there's red tape, there's hurdles, there's rules being enforced that don't need to be there. It's the same thing I've been saying since July 1st. It's, you know, we've got I've gotten to learn a little bit more. What I was talking about back then was just what I was hearing from, you know, different different people around the athletic department and frankly, different student athletes who were just saying like, yeah, we really haven't heard anything. They haven't showed us this. We haven't done that. We haven't done this. And now earlier today, five players who figure to have a prominent role for Ohio State are all over social media with brand new vehicles. A couple weeks ago, it was Jack Sawyer, true freshman, hasn't even played a snap yet at Ohio State, got an $80,000 truck. Now you've got five guys who have some who have played CJ Stroud, the newly minted starting quarterback. He hasn't played a lot of football, but he's got a new ride and he's going to be bumping around Columbus and that thing. And you know, everybody around the country is seeing that. So it's one of these things where Michigan needs to, I mean, I've said it a bunch. They could still do really good. They could like the second they decide to go all in on this thing, they've got every resource possible to be one of the best programs in the country when it comes to NIL. But so far, Nada. And that's a problem, man, because that gap is going to get bigger and bigger. And the schools who are willing to go all in are are going to be champion for it because it's it's you know, I've seen a lot of Michigan fans on Twitter saying, like, well, they've always been given cars. Now they just don't have to hide it. Well, cool. So freaking do the same thing and get on the level because it is allowed now and you don't have to hide it. And I don't know, man. It just looks like Michigan is is they were behind and now they're farther behind. That's what it feels like. Well, a few things, because I think there is some confusion, um, you know, when it comes to the NIL stuff, like Kate McNamara, the announcement that came out, you know, a couple of days ago about, um, you know, cryptocurrency and the partnership mm-hmm. that he developed there. And people are like, you know, you see, you see what's going on at the university of Michigan, but that kids not, are being super smart. Right, they're being right. smart. That's that not- is not a university of Michigan led effort. Right. And so I think people are, are getting that confused. But the other thing that I see on social media is that, you know, people seem to just give Michigan the benefit of the doubt and act like there are big things happening behind the scenes and that Michigan is building some, you know, NIL juggernaut. And I just don't I don't think that's the case. And I think you're right that, you know, here's the deal, regardless of whether or not you know, the folks over at Michigan love the concept of NIL, whether they're against it, whatever the case is, it's happening. It's here. And there are programs and universities that are taking full advantage of it. Like what's happening in Columbus, where you see, you know, four players standing outside of a dealership, rocking new cars, that stuff is happening. And so you're either going to get on board with it and you're going to give, you know, your student athletes access to those same things, or you're going to get left behind And that's really the way college football is going is that you've just got to adapt to the way things are going to be. And it seems like for some odd reason, always at the university of Michigan, there is a 
reluctance to like step into the new era of college football and, and they got to get on board with it. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's frustrating to watch. It's it's frustrating to see from afar. I just saw something else come across today. Kentucky basketball has some some pretty big deal where every player, walk-ons included, are getting stuff. Um, you know, and this to be very very clear, this is not a this is not a Jim Harbaugh issue. This is right. not a Jawan Howard issue. This is not a Mel Pearson. This is not a um, Eric Backich. The baseball. Co- th- th- in fact, it's quite the opposite. They want. They want this. They want to be able to take advantage of this. They want their people, their players, to be able to step out and post some of the same things we're seeing from some of these other other universities because that helps them. That makes their job easier to recruit. Come to right. Michigan. Look what we look what being a part of Michigan with that block M on your chest can be and do for you and your family as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old college student. Uh, and, and that's what it should be. That's the kind of pitch they should be able to have. But so far, it's been a lot of, well... It's in uh, it's in legal. We've heard that shit before, right? It's yeah. in legal, and oh, we gotta figure some stuff out. And there's a little red tape, and eh, we don't want to get in trouble. Like, like you're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube on this thing. Like, it's out. It's running. It's off. It's off to the races. And Michigan is still in the starting block, checking their shoelaces, man. And that's that's a problem. And so. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Michigan fans across social media and all over the place are making these jokes about, like, look at all the cheaters. They can just do it now. Well, that's hilarious because they're better than Michigan and they're going to be much better than Michigan unless something gets fixed. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's from above. It's from it's it's uh, you know, it's the administration. It's the it's the regents. It's the uh, athletic department. President Schlissel. Maybe I, I can't speak to exactly what he thinks or says about nil i don't know but you know we've heard a lot before he's an academic guy that that's his wheelhouse that's where he lives um so yeah it's it just doesn't look good on the surface i mean think about it man if you were genuinely genuinely down to like michigan and ohio state i mean there's a lot of reasons to pick ohio state right now but like if you were down to them and all things were pretty much equal which they're not but they were and then you've got nil there it's like it's a no-brainer yeah. And there's a yeah, lot I mean, of schools I, doing stuff like that. I'm trying to put, you know, I'm looking at it like I, uh, for some odd reason, and, I, and this is just speculation, but I think Michigan is still clinging to that world-class education, world-class institution. You come here, like we're going to set you up for life. And that's really good. And that's true. And that's real. Like a, a degree from the university of Michigan is going to set these kids up for life to go on, you know, do things beyond football. But the problem is when, on social media, you've got four Buckeyes, like I said, at dealership, rocking brand new vehicles. You know, if I'm an 18 year old five star recruit and I'm thinking like, man, like I want to go somewhere where I'm going to a play for a championship. You know, I want to go somewhere where NIL is going to benefit me the most, where I'm not going to struggle through my college years. You're going to be looking at these things. And again, I just don't get the reluctance of the university of Michigan to jump into it. This is where college football is now. It's not changing. And and the longer you sort of drag your feet or try to like resist the change, the, the worse off you're going to be. And I, I don't want to discount what you're saying, Chris, because I agree a Michigan degree is special. Uh, anybody who has one will tell you so. And you can look around the, the professional arenas around the country and around the world. They don't care. The recruits yeah. don't care. They don't care yeah. about that. They don't. And and you, you can well I think I think some some I, I do would, a little I would say some do that that have maybe aspirations other than football later in life 
you know what most of them care about more? Money and cars money. and cool shit money. and NIL I mean, stuff. An I mean, dude, you remember what it was like to be eighteen? Man, I, I kind of do. I mean, it's I'm, I'm <laughs> it's I'm a while ago shit. now. I'm like twenty years removed from that. Yeah, my God. yeah, but it, it just it just comes back and th- this is where. You know, now if you if you're not a fan of 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 how I talk about things like this, or you think I'm full of it, like Hunter Dickinson said it, you you don't need to hear anything about what I'm saying. He came out flat out said Michigan's hard to work with. They're, they're not like most other universities. He said they're treating us like the NCAA. That's what he said. Right, and and you know what? Here's here's what at least for me, here's the worst part about it is that over the last I don't know four years. As fans, we sit here and talk about like what's what it, why is there a gap between Michigan and Ohio State? And and is it academics? What is it? How can we catch up? What can we do? And now you've got this NIL thing and you've got a way to bridge the gap or to at least attempt to bridge the gap. And you look at what the two programs are doing and Ohio State is maximizing it and Michigan is not. And so it seems like where you could close the, the gap, it's even getting a little bit wider and it's just it's concerning as a it's concerning as a fan on the outside looking in that it was like man this is our shot to finally bridge that gap and get some big time players here who can capitalize on the michigan brand on the market and there just hasn't been a lot out there that's that's garnered attention i mean with what Cade did i think is great with what jordan morant is doing i think is great but it's definitely it's not enough it's just not enough yeah um you know it felt like it felt like that could be Michigan's magic bullet. It really did. You know, you, you've got oh, the South's got the geography, and that's where all the talents located. And well, this school you can do this, and this school's kind of got that. And look at recent success at places like places like Clemson and, and Alabama. How can we compete with the SEC? Yeah, know, and they've got the bag, man. You know, how can we compete with that? How can we possibly do that? Here you go. Yep. Yep. No, I, I'm. I'm it's it's just it's frustrating because I know we know we know for a fact that people want to get involved, want to do more with NIL. The athletes want it, the coaches want it, and there's a faction of, you know, the traditionalists at Michigan in in positions of power that just aren't letting it happen, and that is a shame because the very thing that they care so much about is going to be tarnished and take a hit. I mean, take a big hit. Uh, and maybe in the pocketbook, and maybe that's what it'll finally take. I don't know. If you start seeing, you know, Michigan Stadium with only seventy thousand people in it, that'll that'll wake some people up. You hope it doesn't get to that, but you know, I don't that, think that's, that's ever going to happen. I I don't I don't know. You know, we'll see, we'll see, um, and we will see in a, in a little over a week. We will be in there. We will be watching in person, which is I can't wait for. I can't wait just to feel the buzz around Ann Arbor and the vibe inside the stadium and what it looks like in person. And four of the guys we're going to see were just named captains, man. You can't pick. I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I don't know that much about Andrew Vistardis. I mean, he's yeah. a former walk-on. He's played quite a bit, but I, I wasn't a guy I covered in recruiting as a walk-on. Don't know a lot about his background or his personal, personality. But the other three guys, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, Ronnie Bell, and Josh Ross, I know very well. Ross and, and Hutchinson, especially as local guys, I, I've known them since they were in probably 10th grade. Uh, I got to know him very well, got to know Aiden's family very well. And you, you can't pick any better, any better captains than those three guys specifically. And also obviously Vistardis has, uh, has the respect of his teammates as well. I just personally don't know as much about him. So uh, thoughts on those four guys, we touched on this a little bit last night, but I mean, you've got obviously 
three and maybe four guys if Vestardis does earn a starting spot and play a lot of football in the O-line. Three guys, though, for sure, in Hutchinson, Ross, and Bell, who are going to be instrumental to what Michigan does and on the field uh, pretty much all the time. Yeah, I, I was I was there in person when they announced it and, and, you know, got to listen to, you know, all the guys talk after they came out and kind of share their thoughts on what it meant to be, you know, named captain by their peers. And I think they got it right. I mean, you look at the group of guys, um, they're guys that have been around for a while. They're, they're high character guys, high moral guys. Um, and it, you just kind of got the sense that when you're, you're standing there during that press conference, that at the very least, this team has a true like core leadership. And I don't know that they've had that in years past. I mean, I think guys have tried to maybe step into that role and assume that role, but it, it definitely seems like going into this year that they've got leadership in spades on this team and got, you know, got even young guys like sophomore Blake Corum stepping into a leadership role and kind of helping the young guys along. Um, I think they got it right with the captains. And I think a lot of the morale and chemistry and a lot of the positivity you see coming out of camp is a direct result of those four guys. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, like I said, Ross, he's a second, he's a two-time captain now. So this is, this is yep. nothing new to him, but I remember covering him as a recruit. I, I would assume he must have been committed to Michigan at the time, but people in, in and around Michigan's program were like, that the kid's a future captain. This is when he was in high school, you know, not even on campus yet, not even not even wearing the maize and blue yet. And that's what they thought of him. That's the kind of character that he had. Older brother played there, you know, Michigan kid through and through. So you that's that's a no brainer. And then Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, shoot, man, his entire family bleeds maize and blue. His dad was an All-American there. His mom went there. His sisters both went there. And one one, or, one you, might still go there. Do you think Aiden Hutchinson feels pressure to, like, procreate an All-American, <laughs> like, future captain at the University of Michigan? Probably, man. How could you not? I feel How like could you it, not? Right? I mean, he also kind of, like, won the genetic lottery. Like, Chris's father, his dad, not a, not a huge guy, played no. D- Play D tackle at like six three two fifty or something. Yeah. They'll tell you about it. And when you stand next to him and talk to him now, you're like, dude, how how are you an all American defensive yeah. tackle? It's insane. I mean, he's a big dude. He's put together. You know, he's still in really good shape. But like, I mean, defensive tackles don't look like that. So it's pretty like crazy. These days, yeah. And then his mom is like a very average size small woman. It's like, and then they, there's Aiden six seven two seventy. It's like, how the hell? A uh, lot of height in in uh, on the Hutchinson side, though. His I think his grandfather was maybe like six nine or six ten, um, and and Chris was the shortest of all of his brothers. Um, so anyway, it's it's kind of crazy how that happened. But yeah, I mean, how could you not? Like, you know, he he's got to find another another Michigan girl <laughs> and and then you know pump out some some All Americans because you got you gotta. That's what it's uh that's 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 what you do if you're a Hutchinson apparently that's what you so. Do. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool, and obviously must be just such an honor, such a cool thing for for his dad and their family, the way that they all are, all in for Michigan and have been for you know decades at this point, and then just Aiden, you know, coming to Michigan wearing his dad's number, uh, and and now is is a captain as well. It, it's really cool, and everything we've heard about Aiden coming into his senior year and what he's hoping to accomplish and his new role in the defense. Yeah. You know, you kind of think like it was it was meant to be and could be the first or I don't know if it's the first chapter, the first chapter of his senior year 
into what could be a really special season for him. Yeah. I mean, he said, I think he said at big 10 media days and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of it just kind of feels like the stars are aligning. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm sure if you're sitting in, in his seat and you kind of look back and you look at what your dad did and you kind of look at where you're at and you look at the opportunity ahead of you in 2021, I mean, he's got to be just, you know, amped up and ready to go. I mean, I feel it, you know, I feel, I kind of feel the, uh, you know, like the jolt of energy and like, I'm just ready for the season to come. And I know that, you know, especially being at that press conference uh, yesterday that everybody's just tired of talking, man. The players are tired of meeting with guys like us and talking about energy and talking about Ohio state and everybody's just ready to go. Yeah. I put that article up this morning. You know, you can definitely tell that Ross and Hutchinson are ready to go. You could feel it in Indianapolis. Now they've been named captains. It's only magnified and they've both said something along those same lines. We're, 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 we don't want to talk anymore. We want to hit somebody in another color uniform and, and shut everybody up, shut up the doubters. And, you know, we will see, and we have talked about this many, many times, the, the the season opener against Western, I mean, you'd like that to be a, a beat down, but a win's a win. You'll take it, whatever you can get. And if I don't even want to say the uh, other side of that, if a win would be a win there. But that week two game against Washington, man, if Michigan can win that and win it, you know, win it with with some with some pizzazz and some style points look like they should win it. You'll look, you'll look start like really you'll that. start really soaking in all these things these guys have said for the last couple months. But if the opposite happens, if they take an L, it, you're going to be like, what the hell was all that about? What yep. what was all that about? And uh, so we'll see. I mean, we, we don't want to get to that until we get to the season opener against Western, which is coming in eight days. Super excited about that. But, you know, we'll see where that come, Dude, comes in. Eight days away. I mean, I, I know, man. Like every time we do one of these, I was like, you know, one of the last times we were on, I was like 75 days, 75 days. And <laughs> then we're at the 40 day mark. And now here we're at eight days. Like, it's just flying by. Well, speaking of eight. Number eight, Ronnie Bell, also a captain. Love the dude, man. I mean, talk about the uh, kind of the Cinderella story. Was like a mid-level basketball commit. Had zero football offers despite being one of the best players in the in – the, uh, was it St. Louis area or Kansas City area? I forget. Kansas City. Kansas City area. Um, basically like the high school version of the Heisman Trophy in that area. Some superstar players have won it before him. And he just shows up at Michigan, and now he's a captain, a leader, leads the team in receptions two le- two years in a row. Uh, and you just love the kid, man, when you talk to him. Yeah. He's not a big dude, but he, he fights and he scraps. And, you know, if he catches the ball at the five-yard mark, he's going to get another three or four, even though he's not very big. Yeah. Uh, blocking downfield, breaking tackles, tough as nails. And you, you, you saw the emotion a couple seasons ago with the drop pass against Penn State. You just can't help but pull for a kid like that, man. And uh, to see him named a captain again when you think about where he came from is it's awesome. It's it's just gotta be such a cool a cool thing for him to kind of put a bow on his Michigan career with that honor. Absolutely. I mean, he you know th- that's what it's all about. He comes to Michigan. He's not a highly rated football recruit and he puts in the work, he puts in the time. And now senior year, he's, you know, he's going into the new season as a captain. And I just, it's, you know, there's not really much to say about it. It's a great story. He's a great kid, you know, great character kid. Um, And, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but it's just interesting that he is such an impactful player at the university of Michigan, like arguably their top receiver. Mm-hmm. And you just don't hear anything about him. And that's kind of his entire career in a nutshell. Yeah. That, I mean, 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I think I don't remember how long ago it was now, but we were talking about the receiver group and who we were looking for plays from, and, who was gonna, and we didn't even mention his name. Yeah. Didn't even say his name. Yeah. Oh, he's the captain. He's probably going to lead the team in catches by double yeah. digits and just get the job done every time. And it's crazy because he was good from day one. Like he played as a freshman, yeah. even though he wasn't a big time recruit and wasn't even looking like a college football player at one point of his senior year. Uh, in fact, I think, I think he had to like wait. I'm pretty sure he had to wait until the February signing day to sign with Michigan because he had already signed his letter of intent to play basketball at whatever the like Southwest Missouri or what I can't even remember what school it was. Um, but it, yeah, just an incredible story, man. And you know, props to him. Certainly deserving. I mean, th there's not one guy on this list where you're like, eh, I no. think someone else could have maybe got like. They're almost no brainers. And again, I, I can't speak a whole lot to Vistardis. Didn't know a lot about him as a recruit. He played last year, but he didn't play much at all before that. Last year was a weird year and there was guys hurt all over the place on the O line. So you, you kind of wonder what that what that looked like last year. But now he's there. Now he's a captain. He's fighting for the starting center job. I I, I did he talk? Was he one he of the did, guys that yeah, spoke? Okay. Yeah, he what, did. What, and I, what did I he was talk gonna, about? I was gonna say when you know I, I I didn't know much about him either, but when you listen to him talk and when you're around him, you can see why he would have, he would have been voted as a captain. I mean, he's very articulate. He seems like, again, another one of those just high character guys, you know, uh, there were a lot of people that talked about, you know, that he doesn't just do things right on the football field, but he's a leader and does things right off the football field. And so, yeah, I, I, I was down there, listened to him speak. Um, you know, I can see why he was made a captain. Column V. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, you know, let me ask you this. The fact that he's named a captain, does that make you think he's going to start? Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time. You know, he was talking about how him and Kate are, you know, getting the, uh, you know, the snaps right and, and the timing right and always working on that. And I just, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that, you know, him being named captain wouldn't mean that he would be starting on that offensive line. But then again, you never know. Yeah, I just he's battling there with Zinner, and then if you move Zinner to center, then you got to shift Stuber, and you get you got some other battles. So like, I I get it, like you know, putting him at center, letting him play the position, if it really is a close battle, kind of gets gets those other guys into some more natural spots. You've got Zinner at guard, then you keep Stuber at tackle. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out, but yeah. That was my first thought. Not that he wasn't deserving. Not that I was like, I don't even know anything about him. Why is he being named a captain? But I thought like, well, that probably means he's playing. Right. Uh, maybe not though. I mean, it's, if it's coming from his teammates, I mean, they know who's in, they know who's taking reps with the ones they know who's holding down, which spots they see it every day. The defensive guys are going against them. The offensive guys are battling with them. I don't know. It kind of seems like a hint, but who knows, man? Maybe, I do, maybe I do takes believe that spot. I don't know if it was him or one of the other guys that spoke that day, but I, I do believe I recall somebody referencing, you know, that he was the spiritual leader of the team. And so whether or not he ends up starting, it does sound like his presence on the roster is a big deal for the guys around him and they sort of gravitate to him and they view him as a leader. Um, so, like I said, I don't know if that means he's going to be starting in the offensive line, but he's certainly a leader in that locker room. Let's talk about the O-line as a whole real quick. I just kind of mentioned how we're trying to figure out, you know, who's starting where, the left guard spot being battled for, left tackle, right tackle, and Zinter at right guard is pretty much locked in unless Zinter bumps down to center. Then, But but those three guys, Hayes, Zinter, Stuber, they're in. They're, they're three of the top five. 
the other two spots being battled for by you know Trevor Keegan, Chuck Filiaga at left tack, uh, sorry, left guard, and then Vistardis factoring in there at center. And then if you bump him in, then you've got maybe Carson Barnhart or Trent A. Jones. So we've heard, you know, somewhere between nine and ten names. I, I I asked this question at one of the media availabilities, like that's that seems like a good problem. You've got depth, you've got some versatile guys, but I if I was the O-line coach, I'd want five no-brainers. There's my five. They're kicking ass. They're better than anybody else I got. That's my starting five. I, I yeah. and, and I've said I love Sharon Moore as a coach. think he's really, really good at everything he does, but he has never coached O-line before, and you got rid of a really good one in in, in Ed Warner. You know, for whatever reason, I, I never looked back on Ed Warner at Michigan and thought, man, his O-line sucked. I, yeah. I never thought that. Could thought thought that about Don Brown's defense a time or two, you know? So I, I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. I guess, you know, how concerned are you that they, and maybe they do have it now. I mean, we're a week out, maybe they've yeah. got it and it just hasn't been announced, but how concerned are you that it's kind of played out that way and that it does seem to be like kind of a work in progress at this point with a new coach. Uh, I'm not any more concerned about that than I am about any other position group, maybe outside of the running backs. Like I'm not concerned about that at all, but I, I view them as just a big question mark. I know that they've got some known commodities on the offensive line, but you know, I, obviously you would love to go into a new season and have all your starting spots filled and know who you've got where and kind of know what pieces you're going to move around. But I, you know, for this off season and for heading into this new season, like for me, Nakai, Nakai Hill green, the fact that he worked himself into a starting spot and that Hilo came out and said like, yeah, he's earned that right to, to call himself a starter and to be out there week one. Um, I love that, man. I love that they're letting guys compete and that, you know, they're going to say, you know, if, if you're the best guy, you're going to play. Um, so would I love for there to be like a solid starting five? Yes. But I think the guys that are competing for the remaining spots, I think they're only going to be stronger for it. Hopefully start starting offensive line next Saturday. Go. I have no idea. No idea. Don't no even, idea. No, won't even no, venture no, a guess. Won't even venture a guess. Great I, stuff. From Chris Ryler. Have a good evening, everybody. <laughs> How about this? I will put Zinner out there. I don't know where he's going to be. I don't know if he's going to be at a center position, guard position, tackle. I don't know where he's going to be, but Zinner will be out there. Oh, good How, God. How's that? Hey, I thought I was giving you a good one there. All right, I'll go Hayes, left tackle. I'll go Keegan, left guard. I'll go V, center. I'll go Zinter, right guard. I'll go Stuber, right tackle. That's right. who I'll trot out there so for my the starting offensive line. Yeah, I think I think the fact that he's been named a captain, which means he's, he's doing well at his job. He's leading by example. He's got the attention of his teammates. I think it's telling. Will yeah. it be that way all year? Maybe not. But Zinter, is a, he's a guard. I mean, like, you know, yeah. you you kind of pick up on those little things when they're like, "Yeah, Zinner can play some center." That means he's he's not a center. It, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah. he's played there, he's done it, he did it some in high school, but he he played right guard last year. That's that's where he's been at. And to me, that's why. And then if you start, okay, if Stuber's your right tackle, but then you got to move him. If you move Zinner, now you're you're shifting pieces, and that yeah. means people aren't in their most natural spot. So I'll say Vistardis at center. Keep Zinner at right guard and, and keep Stuber out there at right tackle. So that's what I'll say. Hayes, Solid. Keegan, Vistardis, Zinner, Stuber. There you go. That's what I feel think is going to happen. I mean, how uh, do you feel I, about you that know, group? Strong group? I actually feel pretty good uh, in terms of 
you know, their their size, they're that's a big line, man. All those guys are Stuber, Zinner, Keegan are north of 320. Hayes is probably about 310. Vistardis might be the smallest of the bunch, which is I think okay yeah. at center, but not by a lot. I think I think he's north of three bills too. So I like the size. You've again if you're talking about being able to move these guys around, then you know they're versatile. You know they've got some athleticism. Hayes is super athletic at left tackle. Zinner, we've heard the praise about him. Best player on the damn team, apparently. Uh, Stuber's played a lot of football. He plays a couple different spots. Keegan, another big athlete, a kid I saw a couple times in high school. So I like it, but again, you got a new coach. You've got, you've got a gel. You've got an unproven quarterback. I don't know, man. I don't on paper I like how it looks, but you know, to get punched in the mouth or something by Washington week two, we'll we'll find out. We'll find out a lot about that group. I don't know. Would you change anybody? I mean, what do you think when I when I rattle that five off? No, I mean I, I think that's a solid starting five. I, I just Maybe Filiaga at left left guard. Maybe, I don't know, man. Maybe I don't know. There, there's so I feel like if it hasn't clicked for him, it's just kind of like here's the next guy, it's Keegan. Right. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I think the guys that you listed off probably going to be the starters. There may be some movement around the the offensive line a little bit, but generally speaking, I think those are going to be the guys, and then the rest are just going to sort of fill in where they can. Yep, there you have it. Shout out to the captains. Shout out to the captains. I think that's cool. Obviously, captain at Michigan is a big deal. It always has been, so props to those four guys, and we'll see uh, what that looks like on the field. All right, let's shift into our over-under segment. Chris, I don't even know if I've talked to you about this, but this is something that we are going to do every week for the specific game of that of that week. So it'll, okay. you know, however Michigan's looking, leading up to it, over under things we think are going to happen today on Friday as we close out the week, we're going to do kind of a big picture, larger scope season type of over under deals. We're going to go back and forth just like we did before. If you forget you're after me, then I'm after you, then you're after me. <laughs> there are only two of us. That's how it will go. So don't and, zone uh, out is what you're saying. Yeah. But I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we, we did it last time too. We might have a repeat, but we'll, given uh, the way things have gone this Thus far, I'm yeah. certain we've got uh, some of the same things on here. And I, I, uh, I moved the goalpost just a tad. Not well. I don't know. Depending on how I word it, it could be a true over under. But I, I kind of well, well, we'll go. We'll just get okay. into it. And uh, here we go. I'll go first. I will go first. Little music build in the background. Let's see. Put my hands together. Get it hot. Here we go. Cade McNamara over under twenty two and a half touchdown passes. Just for, for under just for a frame of yep. reference, Shea Patterson's best year was twenty three. The most ever at Michigan was twenty five. We're 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 on the same page here. I'm gonna go under. I'm okay. gonna go under twenty two. Man, I uh, that's just such a small number. Like something like fifty eight quarterbacks threw more touchdowns than that last year. I know, but look at when you go back and you look at what Michigan quarterbacks are doing. I know, I, you I know. know. I, I'm gonna look that number up actually real quick, just very very quick. Um, passing it's, touchdowns it, it, in 2020. Oh, well, okay. Let me back up. 2019 yeah. can't really do it in 2020 because there just weren't enough. Uh, there weren't enough games. Okay, my number was a little inflated. 30. No, 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 no. No, it wasn't. 48. 48 quarterbacks threw 
23 or more touchdowns in a season in 2019. Yeah. Almost and half it, the country. Well, and and you know what the you know what the sad part about it is? Look at the receivers that have come through <laughs> the University of Michigan and tell me how you're not getting more than, you know, 22 touchdown passes in a year, but I you know, until I see a Michigan quarterback ball out, I'm going to go under. All right, there you go. I I think I have to, too. I, I yeah. It just sounds like, geez, man, in 12, 13 games, you can't throw 23 touchdowns, Which 25, concerns 28. Which concerns I don't know how we get to nine wins with only 22 touchdown passes. No, but maybe that means right. the running back room. But maybe that leads into this next one here. So What you got? Brandon, mm-hmm. Blake Corum, over under 1,000 all-purpose yards. Oh, you threw the all-purpose in there. Yeah. I think I'll still say under, but, okay. but not by much. Because I, okay. I – it's really close because I think I have him pegged at about six, seven hundred yards rushing, splitting carries with Hassan Haskins and giving way to, to Donovan Edwards here, or there, and about two or three hundred yards receiving. If he's on the field as much as I think he could or should be, that would put him in that eight, eight fifty, nine fifty. I don't know. I I put him under, but just slightly, just slightly. And that's that I still think that would be a good year for him in year two. Yeah, and and I'm gonna put him over, but just mm-hmm. slightly. And, you know, we're not sure how they're going to use the running back room, but I've heard his name mentioned in special teams. I know that he can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. And then obviously we've seen the talent and what he can do on the ground. And so when I look at all purpose yards and, and, and everything put together, I think he can get to that number. I hope he gets to that number. I would love to see somebody in the running back room get to that number. I think Blake Corum's got the best shot. That's a good that's a good spot. That's a good spot to be thinking about. And I think if you asked a hundred Michigan fans, you'd probably get a split of, you know, yeah. I don't know if it would be 50-50, but I think some people would be like, Oh yeah, 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 for sure. And you know, knock on wood, you never want but injuries happen in the backfield. If he somehow becomes the guy, like he's getting eighty percent of the totes, yeah. Then obviously that would that would move the that would move the uh that would move the mark a little bit, but we'll see. All right. This one, here, here's one of my uh, not quite a over-under. I guess I could just word it slightly differently, but yes or no, Aiden Hutchinson, double-digit sacks. His pops had 11, by the way, back in the day in the season. <sighs> Multiple players at Michigan have had 10 or more sacks in a season, but it's been a lot of the studs. Lamar I'm Woodley, say Brandon no. Graham. I'm okay. going to say no, and I think that's because – Every team is going to pay extra attention to him, and I think that they're going to do everything they can to keep him away from the quarterback. Obviously, we don't know what the new defensive scheme is going to look like. I I anticipate he's going to be more active and have more opportunities, but I just think given who he is and how well-known he is on this defense, I think people are going to scheme for him, um, and I think it's going to make it difficult. So I'm going to say under. It's a lot. That's a lot, man. In in 2019 – only 19 players had 10 or more sacks. So that's – But he's – you know what the thing is, though? Like, we got to start looking – like, Aiden Hutchinson is a guy who can get that. And, sure. And, and and maybe go as far as to say should get that. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at – I mean, man, Aiden Hutchinson is one of the top players in the country returning. You know, so I, I would think it's fair to expect that of him. I know it seems like a lot, but again – um, I'll stick with the under just because I think people are going to scheme for him. And Don Brown's defense, he was not getting that. He was doing too much anchoring. He was yeah. he was not even asked to really get after the quarterback as much as he should have been. And Mike McDonald's defense, that's supposed to change. So we'll see. Um, 
his dad's his dad's mark was 11 i remember we we were at an event one time we were sitting up there it was when i was on the radio with mike spath and chris hutchinson was like the 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 guest of honor that night and then just dumbass me and mike sitting up there with him like we're taking questions from the audience not one to either of us obviously but it was really funny chris was telling us how aiden after this would have either been after his freshman or sophomore season i can't remember said to his dad like how the hell did you get 11 sacks in a season like it's yeah. it's hard man it's yeah. really hard to get that kind of no those kind of numbers um Chase Young in 2019 led the entire country with 16 and a half. He was the number yeah. two pick in the draft. So there you go. It's a hard number to get to, man. But um, he's capable. But it's it's tricky. And we both said uh, we both said the under on that one, or, or or just shy of that. All right, you're up. All right, here we go. C did we settle on a name for Cade McNamara? Is it Cade the Snake? Is it, <laughs> you is like it, Cade the Snake? I, I, I guess. I, I don't know why I keep going back to that. I think it's Jake Plummer. Jake Plummer was in Arizona. There's sand in Arizona. There's sand in Nevada. Ipso Cade Fetto. McNamara. He's a dog. He's there a dog. Go. All right. All right. We'll just leave what you it got? At that. So over under for Cade McNamara on the season, 2,600 passing yards. And the reason I picked 2,600 passing yards was because Shea Patterson I think had just over 2,600 passing yards in 2018, and that put him single season on the top 10 Michigan list all time. So is Cade McNamara on the Michigan top 10 single season list all time by the end of the year? 2600. I, I, I mean, I, I come back to like Michigan is that's why I was, I wanted to fact check myself before I said it. Michigan has only had three, 3000 yard passers ever. Um, so obviously, if he's going north of twenty six hundred, he's getting into that. I mean, that's that's one good game away, essentially. Um, I, I find myself answering this kind of the same way you did. Like, if you th if you think they're winning nine games, he's going to have to throw for that much. I have him at seven. I'll say no. I think under. I think in that ballpark, you know, twenty four hundred, twenty five hundred. Um, but shy of but shy of twenty six hundred, that would twenty six hundred yards would put him at number eight all time. Shea Patterson was twenty six hundred right. on the dot in twenty eighteen. Tom Brady twenty six thirty six. Jim Harbaugh two thousand seven hundred and twenty nine yards. But I so think Rudock is up there, right? Is it Jake Rudock is one of the three three thousand yard passers. He threw right. for. 3,017 yards. So back it's not in his like, I mean, season with the you look at who Jake Rudock is, you know, it's not like we're, we're asking Cade McNamara to be a superstar by, no, by, getting, I know. by, by getting to that number. Um, but for me personally, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm going to go under only because I just haven't seen a passing attack at the university of Michigan that, that lives was up to the expectation. I mean, even look at the roster right now and how many receivers they don't have like that one stud, like they don't have a CD lamb or a Jerry Judy or anybody like that, but they've got about six or seven guys who are all equal. As far as I'm concerned, who, when they get the ball in their hands, if you throw like a five yard out or whatever, they can easily turn that into an ADR touchdown. So I would love to see Michigan maximize the passing game and kind of air it out and utilize those guys. But until I see it happen, I just, you know, I, I don't think Cade's going to get there. It would, it would put him in the top 10. It would be great to see, but I don't think it's going to happen. That's, that's an interesting way to look at that. I mean, we were pretty, uh, you know, we praised Ronnie Bell quite a bit for his ability and also how he does things, how he approaches everything. But there's really not one receiver on Michigan's roster where you say nobody can check that guy. 
Yeah. They don't have that guy. They don't. They've been, I mean, they've been saying it's Cornelius coming out of fall and coming okay. out of spring. It, it, and it might be him, but it hasn't been him on the football. Like on Saturdays, it yeah. might be him in spring and in summer and in fall, but we'll see what happens in the fall. Or in, in All right. Summer. Here we go. Over under 78th overall total defense in the country. Will Michigan's defense be over or under 78th overall? Offense, Wait, sorry, so, I said defense. Seventy eighth overall okay. in the country, total offense over under. So seventy seventh or better, seventy eighth, seventy ninth or worse. So the offense. So, so under would be better in this situation, right? Correct. Okay, I'm going to take the under because okay. you know they they cannot be worse than half of college no, football. They can't. They, they, well. No, they can't. They can't without heads rolling. They certainly, they certainly can. But to me, given where things are, they cannot be in the bottom half of college football and offense or defense for that matter. So I'm going to take the under um, just based on who they are. I mean, it's the University of Michigan. You should never be in the bottom half of college football in any statistic. You slurping. What, I mean, should you look? Uh, you no, know, I don't disagree. Right in in any category, should there be, you know, fifty teams out there better than Michigan? No, no, nope. That well, I can't. I can't argue. I can't argue. I. Oh. God, they gotta be freaking better than that. Seventy eighth. That's terrible. It's that's awful. bad. That's that's almost in the bottom third. I this think is, that might be the bottom third year three josh gaddis get it figured out put guys in a position to succeed get those guys out in some open space let them create use that stable of running backs man 78th dude gotta be better than that gotta be yep i'll say i'll say they'll be better maybe not by a lot but they'll be better than 78th overall all right so we've spent some time talking about ronnie bell and I went back and looked at his numbers. And so in 2020, he had 26 receptions. Obviously, the season was shortened. In 2019, he had 48 receptions, which is his best year to date. So for 2021, over under Ronnie Bell, 48 receptions. Over. I think that's a I think that's a no-brainer for me. I think he's gonna be well north of 50 catches. So it's gonna um, be his best season to date, catch wise. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. He's a senior. He's a captain. He knows he has to show out. He knows he has to set the example. He has to be a safety, uh, you know, a safety blanket for, you know, a safety net, whatever you want to call it, for his quarterback who's going to be getting broken in and kind of working their way into things. Uh, and he's he's built for he's built for a lot of catches. He's not a he's not a burner deep threat kind of guy. He's right. not a you know, red zone specialist. He's, he's an every down, move the sticks, come across, come across the middle, uh, you know, hit somebody with a double move here and there and get yeah. some, you know, I, I you just think four, you need four yards. You need five. Yeah, yards I think he's built plan. for that. I think he's built for a lot of catches. If you're playing 12 or 13 games, you don't have to catch that many balls to go North of 48. So I will say over and probably pretty easily. Wouldn't surprise me to see him catch 60 balls this year. Yeah, I mean, I almost kind of put him in the same category as like a Jeremy Gallon, like not the most hyped guy that's out there, but just super productive. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to get to 48 just because I think wow, they've, got okay. so many, they've got so many weapons 
out there for, for a wide receiver. You're talking about Andrew. You're talking about Mike Sanger still. You're talking about Cornelius. I mean, there's a lot of guy AJ Henning factors to be, you know, a, a part of this offense. I just think there's going to be so many weapons out there for Cade McNamara, whoever the quarterback ends up being throughout the season, that for me, it's going to be hard for me to see Ronnie Bell get over that 48 mark. But if he does, uh, you know, it's good things. That's interesting because to me that was like a no-brainer. I thought you were going to say like 48 was his high no. and then go go even higher for the over-under, but okay. I mean, well. I was looking back. I think it's I think it was either Darbo or Chesson. During the Harbaugh era, the highest was like 62 or 63 receptions, and I think it was Darbo, 63 receptions in 2016 maybe. I was so, going to say 60, 66 wouldn't even put you in the top 10 all-time at Michigan, so yeah. – I mean, Braylon, what, number one with 90, what? 97, 97 yeah. catches. Holy shnikes. All right. That was back when it was three yards in a cloud of dust almost, too. So go. that's obviously pretty impressive. Uh, all right. I'm going to reword this question because it just got a little confusing last time. Better or worse? So not quite over under. Better or worse? 84th in the country, total defense. Better. It has to be better. That's by if, the way, it, that 84th overall is where Michigan was last year. Right. If if Mike McDonald and George Hilo and Steve Klingscale, if that if that group of guys and and, and uh is it is it Ron Bellamy, right? He's working with mm-hmm. the safeties. Yep. If that group of guys I mean, that was what Harbaugh reloaded on this offseason. Newell. It's it's his defensive coaching staff that mm-hmm. he he really put all of his weight behind. And so if there's not a significant increase in how productive the defense is, then there's going to be a big problem. Again, I go back to what I said before, even if you're bringing in new coaches, like take any big time program, Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state. I mean, you go down the list, even in a transition ish type year, you don't see them fall in the bottom third or bottom quarter of college football. And so for me, I hope Harbaugh's done his homework. He's he's brought in the right people, and 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 I would say that damn near getting to the bottom fifth. By the way, at number eighty four, there you go. So I I will say that they will be in the top half of college football in twenty twenty, which is not asking a lot. I think uh, I think yeah, I think better. I think you know you 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 limit the big plays even a little bit compared to what Don Brown did in that stubborn man defense last year. Very predictable, and when Michigan doesn't have you know, NFL talent at cornerback, like, you know, he did before with David Long and uh, uh, Jordan Lewis. Yeah, You know, uh, you, you can't ask those guys to do that every single play. And then when you're, you know, you're not getting a lot of pressure up front and your, your pass rushers are injured and it, it just, it was a bad formula. So I'm with you. I've been, I've been pretty consistent with me saying like, I don't know how you can just assume Mike McDonald is going to be really good since he's never done it before, but we've heard really good things about him and about how he approaches everything and the, the multiple looks. I think that's important. I think you have to have that in today's college football. And if they have that, they still do have talented players. I, I agree. I think it will be better than 84th. I, I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, a top 20 unit, like we've seen, you know, in the first couple of years under Don Brown, but God, it's gotta be better than 84th. That's pathetic. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no question about it. They're, they're certainly capable. They've got the talent to be a top 20 defense. But I think if you look back at the Don Brown era as a Michigan football fan, how much time did you spend screaming at your TV, like, make an adjustment, do something yeah. different? And it sounds like 
we're going to have some of that now in Ann Arbor. So if, if nothing else, if all things are equal and the only thing that changes is the ability to adjust and adapt, Michigan will be better defensively. So that's where I'm at. There you go. There you go. Am I finishing us out here? Did you start it? Did I start? I forget. No, I've still, I dude, I've, I've still got two, two left. Yeah, I've only so, got so, one left. So it's well, your turn. So, so it's that your makes turn. Sense. That's right. right. That was my question right there. Okay. So we'll Sorry go for, for the season, and I'm sure that this is one that probably you and I are the same, or we have the same question on. But we'll go points per game. And yeah. I went back. And I don't I looked, have that. You don't have that. Okay. So I went back and looked at the last three years. You ready? So in 2018, Michigan averaged 35.2 points per game. In 2019, 31.7 points per game. And in 2020, they averaged 28.3 points per game. So for 2021, I'm setting the over-under at 31 points per game. I think it's going to be under. I think it's going to be under. I think it's going to be under because just – That's bad. Unproven. That's bad news. In a lot of in a lot of areas, unproven QB. That's that's the battery that makes everything go. I don't think Cade McNamara is a world beater. I think he can be very good. Uh, the O line has to come together. A new coach there. Um, wide receivers who are fast and talented but haven't produced a lot. They're going to have to. And a really good running back room that is dependent on the O line and dependent on everything to kind of work together. And even as, as high as I am on Blake Corum, I think he's like he could be one of the best backs in the country. He hasn't done a lot either. I mean, he's yeah. a sophomore. He's a true sophomore who didn't carry it that much last year. So I think it's less than that. I think it's less than 31 points a game. I do. You know what's shitty is that I think it's less too, but I'm obviously <laughs> I'm hoping it's more. Yeah, man. But, you know, I, I just – here's the problem I have. If you're less than 31 points a game – like in today's college football, you got to score. You got to be able to, to to score the ball and get in the end zone. Um, if we had like a 2016 defense under 31 points a game, I wouldn't be as concerned about it. But I do think Michigan is going to be under 31 points per game on average, and that that's concerning, man. Because I, you know, I've got them at nine and three, but I don't know how you get there when you're averaging 31 points a game. Or less than that. Yeah, last year was 28.3. That was 66th yeah, yeah. in the country, man. Yeah. Again, we're talking bottom halfers. That's that was that's the theme of the season last year, man. Bottom halfers across yeah. the board in just about every important statistical category. Yeah. yeah. You can't you can't I mean you can't be bottom half, bottom third in offense, defense, scoring, forcing turnovers, all that, and be surprised by a two and four record. I mean that's that's what you get. When you rank those in those places across the country, all right. I mean, this is a this is kind of a layup because we've we've talked about this a lot. But we're we're going into game week now. We've talked to all the coaches. We've seen a bunch of the players. You're slurping like like a Hoover. And this isn't I'm just talking at this point. Jeez, Louise, let me throw the clip out there. This is not just talking for a podcast. This is put your money up, bro. Put it up. Okay. Put it up. Put a stack up. Okay. Over under seven and a half wins. That's where the line is set in Vegas. All right. You know what? Let's finish this then because we're at the same question. That's that's the same question. I've got over under at seven games. Okay. Well, seven wins. Seven wins. You got to do a half because then you, so, okay. you don't have right. to so, we'll so seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm obviously taking the over. I'm taking the over because, I again, I've gone through the schedule. If they win the games they should win and they split the games that are kind of like toss-ups, 
then you get to nine wins, and I just think that's where they're going to be. What do you mean by that? Define should win. Well, okay, so Northwestern is a game Michigan should win. Michigan State is a game Michigan should win. Indiana is a game Michigan should win. Basically, all of these schools that Michigan year in and year out out recruits, that Michigan's got more resources, that Michigan's Michigan just is in a better place than they are, I view it as that is a team that the University of Michigan should be beating on a regular basis. I hate this question, and it's my own damn question, because when I look at the schedule, and we've done this, I got, I got them at 7-5. and five. I would feel... I feel the lowest level of comfort I can imagine by putting any amount of money on that number. I wouldn't do it. I just, I, there's no. so much I don't know right. about what this, so I'll say under because that's when I look at the schedule, I have them at seven and five. I wouldn't want to put a dollar on that bet. No. I wouldn't, I, you know, and if someone said you got to put money up, I, I, I'd go for the lowest amount possible Ask because I just do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, because I just there's too much unknown. It's not about like, oh, you think they're going to go seven and five then put it up. I, How do you know? How can you right. possibly really know? Well, and aside from the- just looking at how it looked last year and looking at how they did against those same teams last year. Right. And, and if you look at like where you and I are at how different is the perception of just those two games, you know, seven and five versus nine and three, you know, that's like at seven and five, we're talking about once again, we're right back in the off season talking about whether or not Jim Harbaugh is going to return. I think he does at seven and five, but at nine and three, I think we're, I think we're singing a different tune. I think at nine and three people are now. Okay. You know what? This is a question that I've been wanting to ask you because we talk about all this shit. We talk about, Washington and you know Wisconsin and all these games. Does any of it really matter if they don't beat Ohio State? I mean, if they go eleven and one and they lose to Ohio State, and I know people well, like to make that. I lo- I know people like to make the comparison. Like if they only beat Ohio State, I'll be happy. But I mean, <laughs> is there really any scenario where this season is viewed as a success if they don't beat Ohio State? You want my true answer to that question? Yeah exactly where my head went when you started asking it. I think those other games matter a ton because I don't even view Ohio State as remotely winnable. It's not, like it's not even possible. I can't I can't envision a scenario where Michigan beats them right now. Where the two programs are, the talent level, the execution, how it's looked, home away. Yep. I I just Dude, I mean, they would have lost by 70 freaking points. Last I was going to say the last two played. meetings have been historic losses for Michigan. So it's not like you're, you know, you're, you're off track or you're off base with, with what you're thinking there. So to answer your question, I, yeah, I think the other games matter a whole hell of a lot because to me that, that November, that, that closeout game in November is already determined. I mean, I hate saying that, but how, how can you possibly look at the two programs right now and say, you know what? Michigan's got a shot. Michigan's got well, eh, I think maybe because you look at the quarterback situation, and I know that DJ Stroud going to be awesome. I, I know I'll say I, it right now. I know he's going to be good. But <laughs> there, there is an experience there, right? So if there is a window of opportunity for Michigan, this might be you know the best window of opportunity since 2016. You know they've got some changes, they've got some concerns at certain positions, but again. Ohio State is loaded. There's there's not going to be any issue with Ohio State producing talent and, and being good on the football field. 
But for me, I, I do think it comes down to that. I just don't see any scenario. And maybe it's because when the game takes place, it's the last game of the year. It's the last thing that people think about going into the offseason. You've got to spend all those damn months just with that sour taste in your mouth, that bad taste in your mouth. And so, man, I, you know, we've talked about it before. No other coach has started 0-5 against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, if we get to a point where we're 0-6 against Ohio State, I almost feel like that that should be drawn in the contract, man. Like, you you cannot – I don't know what the number is, what it has to be, but I do know that 0-6 against Ohio State has to be a fireable offense, right? It has to be. Man, if you're coaching at the University of Michigan and you go 0 and 6 to start your career against Ohio State, you got to go. You got to get What's out. What's the equivalent of like in another like another job? Like you work at Taco Bell, but you like you can't make a taco. <laughs> is, that the, is that the same <laughs> kind of thing? You can't make the supreme. I mean, I'm good quite, on the nachos. You know, like I got no. a burrito hooked up. Tacos can't do it. Can't no, do it. Can't I think figure it's it out. like maybe if it's like. You know, you work at Taco Bell and you're trying to like do better in sales than McDonald's on a weekend. <laughs> and you know McDonald's is gonna kill it on the weekend, right? They kill it That's every way weekend. too nice, dude. They got That's breakfast, nice. they got lunch, they got you know, they got dinner, they're open all hours of the night. Big fan of know, Taco man. Bell's breakfast, by the way. This guy right here. I've never had it. I've never had uh, it. Uh CJ Stroud over under twenty two and a half touchdown passes. Over. <laughs> is that it's, it's not even it's not even a question i mean what what was it that haskins had a couple years back like 52 know? or something right. That's, so it's like we just haven't uh, i can't tell you how refreshing it would be for this fan base to just watch a michigan quarterback go out and dominate and sling the ball over the field and there's no reason why we can't have that i mean outside of denard robinson you know, and, and, and his athleticism and the excitement that he brought, we just haven't had that in two decades. We haven't had like that dude at that position. So and, and even Herb Street, you know, when he when he was talking about the University of Michigan or talking about Michigan and Harbaugh and the football program and the current state of everything, uh, he said the same thing. He said he looked at the running back group. He's like, name the last dude like Anthony Thomas that the university of Michigan has had. They haven't had a dude at the running back position and they haven't had a dude at the quarterback position in a really, really, really long time. And I just don't get how that happens. 50 touchdowns for Dwayne Haskins, by the way, 2018. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a number, I mean, we bro. Got quarterbacks that are putting out 17 and 18, you know, like you just, you're not going to compete. Yeah. Can't do it. Well, there you go. There's our over under folks. Hope everybody likes that. Did we leave everybody on a positive note here? Because I feel like that was kind of bleak. I feel like that was kind of bleak. I mean, you know, we're about to we're about to talk about a couple other things to wrap us up real quick. We will do this every week as well. Um, Big Ten, big game, Big Ten, big lame. Another section of the pod that we're going to have every year. Don't really have that this weekend because there's only one Big Ten game. But Nebraska uh, is favored by six and a half over Illinois. I'm intrigued by this game, man. I mean, Scott Frost's ass is on fire. Is it burning is there, up? Is Scott Frost in anybody's good graces right now? I think burning he's up, off dude. Just about everybody. I mean, he's pissing people off. He's losing games. He's cheating and still blowing. I mean, like I don't know what that guy like. I don't. I they're favored. I don't know. I wouldn't now, surprise now, me at all if Elamo came the in thing. there and rolled Fine them. Bomb. Feinbaum put Harbaugh and Frost in the same. No, you know they're not. Like if you if you. But really he hasn't even had see, a winning season. Right. Come on, I was going to say if you want to see what a disaster looks like, it's what's happening with Scott Frost. It's not what's happening with Jim Harbaugh. Now, granted, 
he hasn't lived up to expectations, but it has, I wouldn't call what, I wouldn't call Harbaugh's tenure a disaster. And man, was I wrong about Scott Frost because I thought that dude was. I mean, look at what he did at UCF. I thought he was the bee's knees leaving there, dude. And I thought he was going to kill it at Nebraska. It is it is hard to recruit there. It is. Yep. But he was beating teams, you know, into a pulp at, right. at Central Florida. And, you know, with with some good players, but not great players. I mean, Central UCF's not recruiting five-star guys. Right. Um. So I thought he, man, I I was wrong about him, and he has been bad. Uh. But they're favored six by six and a half against Illinois tomorrow. What do you got? I mean, what do you think there? Again, well, I mean, we're all guessing and speculating at this point, having not seen anything we yet. We got Taylor Martinez versus Brandon Peters. I didn't <laughs> even, uh, man, Dude. Brandon Peters. There's so many Michigan transfers out there that I just feel like there's Brandon Peters celebrates his 30th birthday on Sunday, but will go play. <laughs> I'm kidding, but he's this is his sixth year. This is his sixth year there. It's crazy. His three dude. children will be on the sidelines. Yeah, man, <laughs> cheering daddy on. Uh, you know, I'm still going to take Nebraska. I, I think you know to cover Taylor, or to win six and a half. I, I'm going to take Nebraska not just to cover. I'm going to take him to win. Okay. Um, I think did you say that back? Or no, wait, no. Okay, so so they're favored to win. Correct. By okay. six and a half. So yeah. Will so, they win so by seven or more? They'll, they'll cover. I think they'll okay. cover. Um, Illinois has just been so bad for so long. Um, and I know that, you know, Bielema, he's a, uh, you know, he's been around for a while. He's a solid coach. But, man, I just think Illinois just seems like one of those programs where, I don't know. I To me, you know, we're talking about a program like Michigan trying to get to the top. If you're talking about <laughs> Illinois, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, gone down are the days, me, they're down there with Rutgers. Gone are the days of Juice Williams. Let's put it that way. Remember Juice that, Williams, dude? Shieldhouse. Yeah, Shieldhouse. Remember that? You know, oh, yeah. I remember I remember all that, you know, all those games. But um, you know who won that game last year, though? Illinois. Illinois beat Nebraska last year. They did. It was so there you go. All right, and then we'll close it out with uh, Hawaii at UCLA. Uh, and UCLA is favored big, 17 and a half. Uh, another Michigan transfer, former Wolverine Zach Charbonnet. Yeah. Uh, battling kind of in a 1A, 1B scenario. Going to get going to touch it. He's going to carry the ball, but not like the uh, not like the bell cow starter. So a little intrigue there as well. It's on mid-afternoon, I think you said, right? Middle of the day. So. I mean, I'm just pumped. You said? 17 and a half. That's a big number. And a half. Yeah, I'll take the under uh, only because it's week one. But yeah, for, for Michigan fans, and I put this out a little bit earlier today on the Facebook page. I mean, it, you know, the, the fact that college football is back tomorrow, Pump, dude. Can't we're, I mean, we're, you're going to wake up and watch college game day. You're going to hear that music. Like it's it's finally that time. Just um, caught a cramp and, in my leg. I got so excited about it. Dude. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? There's, there's games on tomorrow that I think Michigan fans will have interest in. Obviously, the Big Ten matchup between Nebraska and Illinois. You got Brandon Peters there. And there's a lot of Michigan fans who think, just like Dylan McCaffrey, Zach Charbonnet was the one who got away, that he was going to be something special at the University of Michigan. And so he's going to get his opportunity at UCLA, tune in and, and watch him run the ball and see how he does. Started off special. You know, came out of the gate, setting records as a freshman. Was tough. Yeah, 2020, yeah was 2020 tough. was tough. But 2019, 11 rushing touchdowns, carried the ball about 100 times in that week. Was it week two game against? Yeah. The Army? Again. Army. Air Force? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe Air Force. Anyway. Tennessee State? 
Was that Middle Tennessee when he carried it like 38 times or something like that? Anyway, yeah, a lot of people loved him. I mean, like, and, and the Michigan staff kind of billed him as like one of their their top targets, regardless yeah. of position that year. And you know, now he's a Bruin. So we'll see what we'll see what he looks like. Just excited, man. Real football. I've been, you know, I've been watching NFL preseason stuff, but that's not the same. Like I'm into it for like a minute, then I'm like, eh, I don't care about this game. Right. But real college football tomorrow, Big Ten game kicking the whole entire season off. Nebraska and Illinois week zero will be the first game. You said Nebraska will cover the six and a half. Nebraska will cover the six and a half. UCLA will not cover. You say UCLA will win, but not by eighteen or more. Win but not cover. There you go. If you're a betting person, Chris Breiler, genius. I'm the guy to come to. <laughs> Wait, where's the dog? I know you can. Can, can I, know I you get? Can, can I get a dog soundbite? Can I get a dog? Chris Breiler, dog. There you go. That's you know, Chris Breiler. He's a dog. He's a dog. All right. We will be back on Monday, seven o'clock game week. We've got some segments lined game up. Game week. Dude. You just said that. Game week. <laughs> GTFO, dude. Let's Man. go. Let's go. I just realized that I need more excitable drops on the board. I was like looking for one. I'm like, dude, they're all kind of like sad and. But you get yeah, Will whatever. Ferrell once it hits your lips. Something like so that. Good. You know, we need some so of that. Good. We need some of that energy. All right, man. We'll be back on Monday to talk a little bit more about Washington and to get ready for Michigan's Week One season opener. Signing off. Signing. <laughs>